how do we shift our perception of the beauty of our natural world so much that we begin to value it as priceless? Welcome, neighbors, to Hometown Earth, the podcast that brings a down-to-earth approach to all of your sustainability questions. I'm your host, Lena Sanford, here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here, we believe that everyone can change the world. Do you believe? I'm a Midwest gal with big dreams to discover what it takes to reduce my impact on this beautiful place we call Hometown Earth. Join me every Tuesday as we navigate what actions we can take, big or small, to make a positive impact in your life and the lives of your neighbors on Hometown Earth. Hello, neighbors. A few of you messaged me after last week's episode, letting me know you were inspired to get out and connect with nature, which I think is absolutely fantastic. If you find this episode or any other episodes you've listened to inspiring, please take a few minutes out of your day to leave a five-star review and a few kind words on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It means so much to keep the show going, and if you're really feeling generous, share it with a friend or on social media so we can spread the word. But I've been thinking a lot about the connection between the things that we value and how that affects our time. I aim to give you those aha moments that make you see the value in our natural world so that you create habits around spending time with nature and protecting it. Something that kept coming up in my mind was this idea of beauty Seeing the beauty in something helps us to form connections and relationships with our environment. Throughout time, we have reveled in the beauty of our natural world and created beautiful things that make us happy. Beautiful homes that are suited to make us feel comfortable, at peace, and joyful. Beautiful art that allows us to see the world through another person's perspective beautiful food that makes us eager to savor and enjoy it. The problem comes when we lose sight of authentic beauty and instead search for beauty that leaves us feeling hollow. Beauty isn't bad. It's just our perception of what is beautiful that really does matter. And those perceptions lead to how we spend our money and live our lives. The beauty and personal care industry is valued at a whopping $511 billion and climbing. The fashion industry is valued at $368 billion. And compare that to the art industry, only $65.1 billion, or our U.S. national parks, coming in at $92 billion. Many extraordinary, beautiful places have been destroyed because the value we placed on them was minimal. Beauty is hard to define. Obviously, people have tried to do it for centuries, but I think it's the harmony of form and function, something pleasurable to the eye and inspiring to the mind, the appreciation of creation itself. So how do we shift our perception of the beauty of our natural world so much that we begin to value it as priceless? 
as something that you can't put an economic valuation on because of its incredible connection to the health of our mind, body, and spirit. Well, today I wanted to read you an essay in a series by Michael Popejoy, who is a fellow in the Harvard Philosophy Department, who explored Ralph Waldo Emerson's work on the existence of truth, goodness, and beauty in nature, and how these claims might inform our current approach to the environment. The piece I will read is Beauty in Nature, and is the final essay of a four-part series made possible through the Student Sustainability Grant Program at Harvard. I will link the entire series in the show notes if you'd like more information on sources or just to read more of Michael Popejoy's work. So let's get into it. This is Beauty in Nature. I declare this world is so beautiful that I can hardly believe it exists. The beauty of nature can have a profound effect upon our senses, those gateways from the outer world to the inner, whether it results in disbelief in its very existence, as Emerson notes, or feelings such as awe, wonder, or amazement. But what is it about nature and the entities that make it up that cause us, oftentimes unwillingly, to feel or declare that they are beautiful. One answer that Emerson offers is that the simple perception of natural forms is a delight. When we think of beauty in nature, we might most immediately think of the things that dazzle the senses, the prominence of a mountain, the expanse of a sea, the unfolding of the life of a flower— Often it is merely the perception of these things itself which gives us pleasure. And this emotional or effective response on our part seems to be crucial to our experience of beauty. So in a way, there is a correlate here to the intrinsic value of nature. Emerson says, The sky, the mountain, the tree, the animal give us delight in and for themselves. Most often, it seems to me, we find these things to be beautiful, not because of something else they might bring us, a piece of furniture, say, or a delicacy to be consumed, but because of the way that the forms of these things immediately strike us upon observation. In fact, one might even think that this experience of beauty is one of the bases for valuing nature. Nature is valuable because it is beautiful. Emerson seems to think that beauty in the natural world is not limited to certain parts of nature to the exclusion of others. He writes that every landscape lies under the necessity of being beautiful and that beauty breaks in <clears throat> and that beauty breaks in everywhere. As we slowly creep out of a long winter in the northeast, I think Emerson would find the lamentations about what we have endured to be misguided, saying the inhabitants of the cities suppose that the country landscape is pleasant only half of the year. To the attentive eye, each moment of the year has its own beauty, and in the same field it beholds every hour a picture which was never seen before and which shall never be seen again. 
the close observer of nature sees a river in constant flux, even when the river's water is frozen and everything appears to be static and unchanging for a time. Nature can reveal its beauty in all places and at all times to the eye that knows how to look for it. We can hear Emerson wrangle with himself on this very point in the words of this journal entry. At night, I went out into the dark and saw a glimmering star and heard a frog. And nature seemed to say, well, do these not suffice? Here's a new scene, a new experience. Ponder it, Emerson, and not like the foolish world, hanker after thunders and multitudes and vast landscapes, the sea or Niagara. So if we were sympathetic to the idea that nature or aspects of it are beautiful, we might ask ourselves why we experience nature in this way. Emerson says that nature is beautiful because it is alive, moving, reproductive. In nature, we observe growth and development in living things, contrasted with the static or deteriorating state of the vast majority of that which is man-made. More generally, he writes, we ascribe to beauty to that which has no superfluous parts, which exactly answers its end, which stands related to all things. He cites nature structures as lacking superfluities, an observation that in general has been confirmed by the advancement of biology. Furthermore, he says that whether talking about a human artifact or a natural organism, any increase of ability to achieve its end or goal is an increase in beauty. So in Emerson, we might find the resources for seeing evolution and the drive to survive as a beautiful rather than an ugly process, governed by laws that tend to increase reproductive fitness and that we can understand through observation and inquiry. And lastly, Emerson points to the relation between what we take to be an individual and the rest of nature as a quality of the beauty. This consists in the power to suggest relation to the whole world and so lift the object out of a pitiful individuality. In nature, one does not come across individuals that are robustly independent from their environment. Rather, things are intimately interconnected with their surroundings in ways that we don't fully understand. Nothing is quite beautiful alone. Nothing but beautiful in the whole. All of these qualities of beauty seem to go beyond the mere impression of sensible forms that we started with, and what they require is also served as the basis of truth and goodness in nature. In addition to the immediate experience of beauty based in perception, Emerson suggests that the beauty of the world may also be viewed as an object of the intellect. He writes that the question of beauty takes us out of surfaces to thinking of the foundation of things. In other words, we can also experience the world as beautiful because of its rational structure and our ability to grasp that structure through thought. Think, for instance, of the geometric structure of a crystal or snowflake or nautilus shell 
or consider the complexity of the fact that the reintroduction of the wolf in Yellowstone National Park changed the course of the rivers due to a chain reaction of cause and effect through the food web, a process called a trophic cascade. This enforces Emerson's emphasis on the interconnection between all members of the natural world. As observers of nature, we are confronted with one giant, complex process that isn't of our own making, but that we can also understand and get a mental grasp on, even if only partially, and be awestruck in that process of understanding. There is thus an emotional or affective component in the beauty of the intellect, just as there is the immediate beauty of perception. If we destroy the natural world, we take away the things that we can marvel at and experience all towards in these two ways. And this experience of the beautiful through the intellect may reinforce our attributing value to nature here as well, but a deeper kind of value, the intrinsic value I talked about in the last essay. Here it is not only that nature is valuable because it is beautiful, but nature is beautiful because it possesses intrinsic value grounded in its intelligible structure. Thus, we see a close parallel between goodness and beauty in nature. We can find an objective basis for goodness and beauty in nature, namely its intelligible structure, but also see that nature is valuable and beautiful for us with the particular apparatus that nature has given us for navigating our way through the world. So that which is the basis of truth in nature and provides it with intrinsic value is also that which makes it beautiful. Emerson himself ties these three aspects of nature into one package himself. He should know that the landscape has beauty for his eye because it expresses a thought which is to him good. And this because of the same power which sees through his eyes is seen in that spectacle. He should know that the landscape has beauty for his eye because it expresses a thought which is to him good. And this, because of the same power, which sees through his eyes, is seen in that spectacle. This is the unified philosophy of nature that I set out to explicate in the first essay. Nature is the source of truth, goodness, and beauty, because it's intelligible structure and because of its production of organisms that can recognize that structure, us. And this view of nature includes an inherent call to protect that which is good, true, and beautiful. These are the things that we as human beings are searching for, are striving after, and yet they're right in front of us if only we would listen with our ear to the earth. Although I've been advocating an approach to nature based on its intelligibility, we are far from tying down the giant that is nature with our minds. Emerson writes that the perception of the inexhaustibleness of nature is an immortal youth. Although we shall continue to try to uncover nature's secrets, let us also continue to take pleasure in our immediate encounter with her. Let us continue to be awestruck 
like the child on the seashore or clamoring up a tree. Let us hold on to that experience and fight for the environment that makes it possible, both for the children in each of us and for those that come after us. I hope you enjoyed Michael Popejoy's work as much as I did. For this week's Something to Grow On segment, I encourage you to explore your beauty ideals and the value you put on them. Take a step in nature, and in Michael's words, continue to be awestruck. Thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hometown Earth as much as I did. Let us know by rating and subscribing so you never miss an episode. New episodes drop every week on Tuesday. Head to the show notes linked in the episode description for more details. And let us know in the comments what you want to hear next. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And you can find more about the podcast on Instagram at Hometown Earth or connect with me personally at Lena Sanford. We all know change needs to happen. So let's get started right here at Hometown Earth. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.